Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Welcome to Netflix as well, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. And I'm an Italian female lawyer who can't be an Italian female lawyer anymore because reasons. And I'm an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. Wahoo! Chris Pratt does my voice. Remember when he was like, yo, my voice is... The voice from Mario is going to be something you've never heard before. <laughs> like, his same voice. Oh, man. I can't wait for fucking Seth Rogen to be Donkey Kong. It's yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. I can't wait for Donkey Kong to look straight at the camera and go. (laughs) I can't wait for Donkey Kong to look at the camera and just go shrug and then move on. Uh, So how are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. We were talking a little bit last time about. The Metroid Prime remake. Yes, Uh, it's good. It's good. It's fun game. It holds up. more importantly, that got me re-interested in trying to finish Metroid Dread because I never finished Metroid Dread. Oh, interesting. Because, um, like, I don't know. I got to one of, like, the Chozo sculpture bosses and uh, just, like, I don't even think those bosses are that hard, but, like, it was just handing me my ass over and over and I was like, clearly I'm not good at enough at this game to play it. So I stopped playing it. So, like, I don't know, with the with the Metroid Prime remake, I was like, oh, I should give it another chance. And, you know, I fired it up. And it was like, oh, you've made, you know, enough progress in this game that you unlocked rookie mode. And I was like, oh, like it. I got far enough in the game that it it knew that I was bad at it and gave me an easier difficulty. And I was going <laughs> to restart anyway, because it's been months and months since I played it and don't know what the fuck was happening in that game. Right. So that's fine. Yeah, uh, I'm at the end of Metroid Prime. Uh, I, I don't know if I said this, but this is the farthest I've ever made in Metroid Prime. I, th- I don't think I made it very far in Metroid Prime when I originally had it for the GameCube. And uh, that costs more money to own it on the GameCube than it does on the Switch. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I'm on my second run through. I'm on my new game plus. I'm going through and trying to find all the items. And I have 87% and I'm just like, fucking how? I don't know how I have only 87%. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of fucking items to find in that game. Because I'm at like 220 missiles. I'm missing one E-tank and like, obviously that is what it is. Uh, I'm probably missing power bomb. Whatever that is, I forget what they, what they call it, but like you get more power bombs. So like I'm just I I'm I just like I walk through all the levels and I'm listening for the item sound and there's no fucking item sound. So I don't know what I'm missing. Yeah. I don't know. I usually use a guide. The the energy tanks is the one thing that like I usually can find. Yeah. Like I said, I'm missing all but one of those, but yeah. Uh, also I will say Casey Moore was just listening to the two uh, last week's episode. And he said to me, 
There's probably something in the fact that you discuss video games on the podcast and it's never the Netflix games. I don't know. I think the only Netflix game that I ever really played a significant amount was Into the Breach. And I think I talked about that a little bit and it's good. Yeah, I've played two Netflix games. There's one where you're basically like a detective. But the problem is with that game is there's no fail state like you just sit around waiting for things to happen and mm. then it's it's just telling you a story which is fine that's what the game wants to do is just be a narrative game cool uh i'm not looking for that in my detective game i want to i want to fail i want to be able to not yeah. find clues and i want to be able to con- like attempt to convict the wrong person yeah you want to scream objection at miles edgeworth yeah i i want to have cole phelps go home to his uh german uh uh woman that he goes home to because he cheated on his wife with this woman and then they're like it's a german woman and we're in the 1950s uh, obviously she's a nazi you not remember la noir i figured that's what it was um la noir yeah. is great go go play la noir it's uh it's on the playstation 4 and uh also i think it's on the switch let me look at the old Steam account here because I think I have it. Well, then play it on Steam. It's uh, it's a PS3 game. We can, so <laughs> we can escape through this it. Steam pipe. No good. It's full of Steam. Yeah, L.A. Noir. There it is. There you go. So play it. Install. Yeah, it's a good game. Fun. It's it's a good fun game. Uh, the team that developed it, uh was dissolved by Rockstar because the team took so fucking long to make the game, but it was still, you know, one of the more celebrated games, I guess, by the gaming community. Yeah. It's not one of those games that people are like, I don't think it sold super well. I think it sold like 10 million copies, which admittedly is good, but like, but it's been re-released like 18 times. Yeah. I don't feel like the gaming community like championed it as it came out, but I know I did. I played it like the second I could because those were the kind of games I wanted to play. Oh, man, I opened Steam and now they're trying to get me to play Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. Why why aren't you playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel? You should just play Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel and understand where I'm coming from when I fucking bitch about that game, because that that is the full game. And I played it one time and I was like, oh, this is why I quit. Okay, So, yeah. That's games that we play sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that'll move us into another segment called uh, What's Your Swill? Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to learn more, like, classic cocktails. Uh, so I've made a Manhattan which is uh, two parts rye whiskey to one part vermouth and then dash of bitters. Mm -hmm. So it's like all alcohol all the time. (laughs) Yep, that's Uh, true. So if so, if you're a baby man like me who doesn't know how to drink, you can put a lot of simple syrup in it, which is what I did. That's fair. Uh, I'm sure it's a different cocktail, but yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I don't know any casual human being alive that has vermouth 
Like it's it always just feels like it's your rum, whiskey, uh, if you're meat, gin, vodka. Like those are your spirits. And then like if you have you're never gonna have grenadine, you're never gonna have triple sec, you're never gonna have vermouth, like like this supplementary shit that always goes in everything, but just no one has it. Well, now I have it. Um I'm proud of you. I don't know. Actually, I have a coffee table book. That is just like about vermouth in the history of the spirit and what to do with it. So I don't know. I might use that as a resource to find new, exciting ways to consume it. Phrased weird. It's not phrased weird at all. I have a coffee table book of vermouth. That's the most random uh, fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's, it's a coffee table book. It's like one of those oversized books that like you just leave out for guests to look at oh i know what a coffee table book is i'm just saying like that's the most random coffee table book but of course coffee table books are inherently random as fuck yeah i have i have three coffee table books i have that one i have one that's like biographical information about nelson mandela and the other one is an art book for the watchman (laughs) okay welcome to the reality of my existence yeah oh uh well i have the uh raleigh brewing company's holiday bash spice winter warmer uh i'm down to one It, it there's one more left in my fridge i might finish it for this episode and just be done with it forever i'm so thankful that it's finally out of my fridge after two months uh, it's fine. Like, it is what it is. Like, I'm never going to get it again. I only got it because I couldn't find the fucking. Actually, it's not true. I could find the cookie beer that Caleb had. It's just some fucking ruthless bastard decided to take one beer out of the the four pack. And it made me so goddamn mad. <sighs> Horrible. I should have just bought it. I should I should just said, fuck it. I don't care. I'll just take three. It's fine. All right. Um, that'll finish that up. So let's get into the news. Oh, shit, it's mail time. I don't think you have anything for news, but I have one thing that I can bring up, okay. uh, which is that Netflix has dropped the uh, surprise me button. Uh, yeah, this was a thing that I noticed. Uh, I... Th- Based on the Reddit thread, which, you know, as again, uh, every time we say this, when we bring up a Reddit thread, uh, Reddit is not an actual like real sample of the population. It's like a sample of a niche side of the population. But people were like, this fucking sucked. I don't know why this existed. Blah, blah, blah. My experience with it was it shuffled me onto the first part of Lupin. And -hmm. I can tell you right now, based off the fucking trailer for part one of Lupin, I never would have watched fucking Lupin in the first place. So the surprise me button did its job. Oh, shit. Does Netflix have a Netflix original Power Rangers series? Yeah. Ah, damn. Why haven't we watched that? Uh, I don't know. We could do that in a couple weeks because March, March looking bleak too. God knows what the fuck else we're going to do. I know, right? We're just biding our time until anime April. 
I, I'm also biding our time for fucking murder mystery. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a it's they cited low viewer like low usership or whatever the fuck you want to call it, which is uh always the reason why something goes away. You yes. I have never once used the shuffle play button, and yes, like good interface design is just like streamlining and making it as simple and functional as possible. Uh, but also like, I don't know, you already had the feature. Like, why do you have to take it out? Yeah. Cause like, if you would go into the profile, you could actually like, so like under your profile that you were selecting, you would just hit like surprise me and it would go to that profile and then pick something at random. Mm -hmm. And of course, yes, it was always skewed towards like, recently released Netflix original stuff because that's the stuff they want you to watch. But like, yeah. why just fucking try it? Yeah, uh, it was it was the surprise me within reason button. Right. So, yeah, I I will kind of miss it because I like the promise of it. But outside of that one time I used it, I've never used it again. So it's not like I'm going to say, oh, this is this leaving is going to kill Netflix. I'm canceling my subscription. No, it's just like, yeah, it sucks. Wish it was sticking around. There were a couple renewals. Uh, Outer Banks has been renewed for a season four. We don't watch that show. So no reason to talk about that. And uh, Vikings Valhalla season three has been announced. However, if you've been paying attention to this show, we said when the show was originally put out and produced and episodes released, it had a three season order. I in fact yeah. I even said that when we reviewed it uh season two. Yeah. That it had a three season order. So it yeah, was it's big news. It's a big nothing burger. Yeah. Uh I get why Netflix tweeted out about it, being like, hey, uh, we got season three coming. Be excited please be excited. <laughs> because they have to. But for news sites to be like, yeah, season three, and Netflix renewed yeah. it. And it's like, no, they didn't. This is always the plan. <laughs> Aware of show. Please consume show. Yeah. So that'll move us into downstream. We'll talk about some trailers for stuff that's happening. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! <laughs> First trailer is for Wellmania, uh, which is the new Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Wellmania, when human tornado and food critic live, is diagnosed with catastrophic health uh it's not a diagnosis Ooh, it's just saying Evans? you know yeah i'd rather see blood in my stool trapping her in australia and jeopardizing her dream job in new york she throws herself body first into a radical wellness journey hell-bent on getting well to return home the body body first is a strange turn of phrase to me like what else would you do it with my guess like it's so it's just a weird thing where it's like hey you went to see the doctor for some reason and now the doctor's like you can't fly home and it's like you could just fly home you you just accept the risks that you might die in the air yeah like what's the doctor gonna do arrest you like you're not my dad later i'm getting on the airplane yeah exactly so i don't know it, it doesn't it didn't I mean, I guess it's like an absurdist kind of fucking thing because it's just somebody going on like a series of like health crazes, 
crazed diet things to get healthier over yeah. a short period of time. Okay. Yeah, we it, it turns out we do need the movie to happen. Yeah, to be able to talk about it. So. Uh, it could be OK. I'm I'm sure I'm not going to watch this at all because uh, people are like, oh, this looks funny. And it's like, are you sure? We sure about it? like even, even in the trailer, like are Australian people always just funny? And it's like, no, it's just me. And it's like, no, it's not you. Definitely not you. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Looks. Like it could be fine. For people who like it. Next is for MH30 or MH370 rather colon the plane that disappeared. Uh, on March 18th, 2014, uh, Malaysia Airlines flight 370 disappeared from radar. When the 239 people on board went missing, a global investigation into the greatest mystery of the modern age ensued. Despite official reports, countless theories and tireless searches for evidence, one central question remained. What are we missing? In 2014, a plane with 239 people aboard vanishes from all radar. This docuseries delves into one of our greatest modern mysteries, flight MH370. I don't know. Didn't they figure out like a couple years ago that like Russia shot it down? Oh, why? And about then that. covered it up. I don't know. I thought that was the thing is like they figured out like Russia or China or something shot it down. So I'm looking at it. The known flight path has them going f- across Malaysia and then doubling back? Oh, no. What the fuck? Uh, let me sh- send you this image, which is the, 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 the flight path that they had for this goddamn thing. Which all this tells me is that fucking the plane broke up. Man, I need to fix my fucking YouTube algorithm. Uh, it's suggesting a video to me that like the thumbnail is like, like a half face of like a gray alien. And it says these paradoxes keep scientists awake at night. No solutions. There you go, mom. Your favorite (laughs) kind of YouTube video. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember hearing about the Russian thing, but that, that wouldn't shock me that China or Russia shot down a plane yeah i remember hearing about this in 2014 and then immediately it left my mind and i didn't really care about this story uh so i will continue that streak by not caring about this (laughs) that's fair yeah i don't know how they pick flight paths but like surely they have to like they were trying to reach a air current because they go like north, northeast, and then they cut southwest and then like west, northwest. Yeah, it's really weird what they were doing there. More hand movements. Uh, our last trailer this week is for The Magician's Elephant. Peter is searching for his long-lost sister, and when he crosses paths with a fortune teller in the market square, there is only one question on his mind. Is his sister still alive? The answer, that he must find a mysterious elephant and the magician who will conjure it, sets Peter off on a harrowing journey to complete three seemingly impossible tasks that will change the face of his town forever and take him on the adventure of a lifetime. 
A determined boy accepts the king's challenge to perform three impossible tasks in exchange for a magical elephant and a chance to chase his destiny. Elephant. It's an animated movie. Yeah, it's here. Uh, I hate this animation style. The cast is actually stacked. It's based on a children's book. Animaple potentially, even though Animaple, the whole point behind Animaple is to watch pervy anime shows without feeling guilty. Yeah. So I don't know. If I hear it's good, I'll check it out. This doesn't interest me in any way. All right. I don't know. I have no interest in it. That's fair. It was always allowed. All right. Uh, Well, now. Is the time on the show where we get into quick hits. Fuck you, Cody, you fucking nerd! Uh, so if you watched anything outside of the normally scheduled programming, tell me everything about it. So I finished Kunk on Earth and that 90s show. Uh, that 90s show ended, interestingly, for those of you who are unaware, that 70s show is not a narrative show. And really... Neither is that 90s show until they decide to, in the last couple episodes, slam a narrative in there that was like, it's just like the last two episodes, like it's the end of summer and uh, Princess Leia has to return to Alderaan on the fucking Millennium Falcon. Uh, And and yeah, uh, this is me making stupid jokes that the main character's name is actually Leia, but she has to return to Chicago uh, and summer is over and she has a relationship with one, one dude. And she's like, well, I want to continue the relationship. And the dude's like, I don't want to continue the relationship because it's going to be hard. And yeah, so it was weird. It was just weird to have like a narrative in the show uh, when you and this is the thing with modern sitcoms is they all have narratives in some way, shape or form. And that's fine. It's, this is just my boomer take that, like, please just give me a fucking sitcom without a narrative. Like, just. Just give me 22 episodes of like people being fucking stupid and the first and last episodes service a sort of plot. Uh, But it does end with her going back to Chicago. So I don't know where fucking season two is picking up because she was seemingly the main character and there's no there's no like cornball resolution like, hey, your grandparents have been telling us how much you love it here, so we're, we're just going to move your schools, or like we took jobs here, or something. There's none of that. So, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's still that 90s show. I still enjoyed it. Uh, so, uh, give me season two quickly, please. Uh, Kunk on Earth, it was funny. It's a funny historical comedy thing, uh, with <laughs> the, the main draw of it being uh, witty one-liners and watching historians get extremely upset over somebody telling his- history wrong. Uh, and then, the final thing and the most important thing that I watched was, uh, we talked about the trailer last week, The Law According to Li- Lydia Poet. Uh, this is an Italian series. Uh, there are many boobies in the show. Hey. Uh, I, know, I know Caleb was really looking forward to hearing about the booby talk. It's there. The boobies are there. So. Bob's general gist is that Lydia Poet is uh, a, she passed the bar and this is like late 1800s Italy. She passed the bar and she's trying to practice law in her town, which I can't remember which what it is right now. But basically, the dudes are just like, eh, 
we don't think a woman should be a lawyer, even if she passed the bar. So you're banned from practicing law in our fucking town. And it's like, uh, what? And it's like it, the amount of sexism in the show is fucking crazy. Like her brother's extremely sexist. It's like, uh, yeah, you definitely shouldn't be practicing law. Like there's no fucking support from anybody in her immediate family. Her entire immediate family is just like, yeah, you're a woman. You shouldn't practice law. And I'm just like blown away by like the writing of it. Just being like, what? Normally the family is like super supportive in, in like, I guess this is potentially more true to life, but it was a, a difficult hurdle to get over. But yeah, uh, the amount of sexism in the show is crazy. Like, fuck. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a mystery show uh, told from the perspective of an investigating lawyer. It's like Phoenix Wright. It's Italian Phoenix Wright with a woman. And I enjoyed that. Uh, I haven't finished it. I've only I'm only two episodes deep. It's six episodes, but I'm enjoying it. I will continue to watch it. It's not like anything spectacular, but it's a good show. Well, all right. What about you? Did you watch anything? Nothing on Netflix. No. I watched Billy Madison and I watched everything everywhere all at once. Oh, what would you think of that one? Uh, it's good. It's quirky. Yeah, uh, I liked the uh, insane amount of drugs that I probably should have done before the movie. <laughs> oh, also, uh, I finally got to watch The Art of Self-Defense, which I uh, highly recommend. Yes, Jesse Eisenberg yeah. as a guy who gets beat up and then Jesse, wants to beat Jesse Eisenberg up. in a movie about toxic masculinity. Which, you know, that's the first person I think of with toxic masculinity, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all of his dialogue in the movie is very good. Uh, and it ends with him as a yellow belt challenging his karate sensei to unarmed combat to the death. Uh, uh, he, he he gets fucked up, right? Like he's only a yellow belt, right? Like what? Uh, I don't want to spoil the movie, but uh, it's great. The ending okay. of it's great. Okay. I've heard I've heard good things about this movie. Uh, I've had it in my my queue on Hulu for a while. I don't know if it's still on Hulu anymore, but I don't know. I got the Blu-ray. Oh, OK. Huh. OK. Uh, so with that, let's cut into a quick break. And when we come back from that break, we'll talk about a review topic for the week, which is the glory. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our wonderful patrons, Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, the Mike Rula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy Delarosa, Chris Yaney, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Casey Moore, Jason the Nerdrovert, Sam the Hurlahe Boy Hurley, Nick Haskins, David Powell, and my mom. If you'd like to join that illustrious list of patrons, visit patreon.com slash Netflix and swill. Or if you'd like to support us without spending any money, you can share our podcast on social media, tell a friend or review the podcast on any podcatcher. It'd be greatly appreciated. Now back to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back everybody. Caleb, it's time to get a new topic for the week, which is the glory part one. 
Yeah, The Glory is uh, a drama mystery thriller series uh, from Korea. A woman lives for absolutely revenge against her childhood bullies who destroyed her life. Uh, This came out last year. Uh, There's new episodes coming out in March, so we're catching up. Well, yes, this this is more of a, hey, should we continue watching this? Is this worth uh, watching the part two? Which, you know, it's a good enough segue. Dan, is it worth watching part two? Yeah, kind of. Um, I'm, I think I'm just more invested in the overall, like, how, like, what is this revenge that were that was it Dong Un or something like that? Like, I don't know. It's it's a foreign name. Uh, yeah. I Moon Dong Un is our main character. I, I don't speak the the japanese or korean or any really eastern language words good uh and uh, there's no Derek zoolander school for kids who can't say foreign language names good either so uh, i'm just stuck but i want to see what the revenge is like based off that first episode which is horrifying that is potentially one of the most horrific episodes of television i think i've ever seen yeah the first episode is a bit a bit rough but uh you know it sets the tone for you know why she's just so mad all the time right because when you look at that premise you're like oh kid says high school bullies ruin life okay yeah sure and then you're about like 15 minutes and you're like, holy fuck, they've destroyed this girl. This girl, this yeah. poor girl is just done. Yeah, I don't know. There's a little story synopsis on IMDb, so I'll read that. Uh, in her high school days, Moon Dong-in had dreams of becoming an architect, uh, but then she OD'd and died in a planetarium with BoJack Horseman. That's a spoiler <laughs> for BoJack Horseman. Uh, however, thanks to suffering from a brutally violent attack from her bullies, Moon dong Yun is forced to drop out of school. Years later, the bully gets married, has a child, and attends the same elementary school where uh, dong Yun now works as a homeroom teacher. Uh, it's kind of accurate because she manipulates things to get put there because the the her nemesis's daughter goes there. Yep. After years of plotting, Dong Yun begins her plans of revenge against her former bullies and the students who stood by and let it happen, uh, slash participated. It was hard to read that description because I think they spelled her name differently every time. (laughs) Well, shit. So, yeah, um, I enjoy the ride. I'm interested to see where the the series goes. I don't know if I could just recommend the show to somebody based off of the first eight episodes, because the first eight episodes, like it ends on a cliffhanger. And Mm -hmm. the cliffhanger is a pretty major one, which I'm I'm not going to say what the cliffhanger is here. Uh, You don't want to find out about that here. But yeah, I I like the show. I find it at parts to be difficult to follow because there's a lot of like name soup. And uh, again, I'm not very good with Eastern names. So just hearing about like seeing a bunch of names and having to read the names and I'm like, who the fuck is that? And then I just have to remember them as like the kids they were at the beginning of the show. Uh, When we go back in time to figure out like what fucking happened at the beginning it's it's a little bit of a mess at the beginning but as it gets going and and picks up and you you 
remember who characters are and you're like, oh, yes, I recognize this pattern. Good. Uh, it, I, I enjoyed it. What did you think? I've talked a lot. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. It's it's thrilling and tense and uh, I don't know. I liked watching the plot unfold little by little. Um, shows paced very well. I think that, uh, you know, it's it's like an intentional slow burn kind of. But like, you know, it maintains its mystique, I guess. You're always kind of like, you know, just enough to. You know, whenever whenever like a big twist and turn happens, you're like, oh, fuck. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, the main character, she is a grown up woman who, as a high school student, uh, this this girl and her, you know, army of sycophants. I don't know, like she was the second girl that we know of that they tortured because like yes. the first girl we find out there was another girl before that got bullied a lot uh who like they basically made kill herself slash uh you know they killed her but yeah like they fucking like put a hot curling iron on her skin and then like burn her with an iron and shit and like just mm-hmm. beat the fuck out of her and it's like uh you know so her body's just like covered in scars and shit uh but like since she was privileged and like her dad was wealthy and you know an important person that like the school wouldn't do anything about it so uh yeah 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 it the first episode is really just about like privileged kids getting away with whatever the fuck they wanted to get away with because they're privileged enough to just have things be swept under the rug mhm Dong Eun shows up to the fucking school nurse and the school nurse is like, what happened? How are you covered in all these burns? And the school nurse goes to like the principal in order to be like, this is ridiculous. Like this shouldn't have happened. And then the next day you find out that she submitted her resignation because oh, it well, it's implied that the administration is making her leave the school for saying such things. Like how could she say such things about this very influential girl with her influential and rich parents. Yeah. And then uh, the teacher, uh, apparently also under under thumb, uh, then uh, beats the shit out of a student in full view of the entire teaching staff, and no one does anything because that's fine, apparently. Yeah, takes his watch off and then slaps the shit out of her. Just... I don't want to look, I don't want to paint Korea in a bad lens based off of uh, a fictionalized work of television. But like, if this is remotely what Korea's education system is like nowadays, my God. Like, obviously, I feel like this is hyperbole, but like, I do, I do feel like uh, from, you know, stuff I've heard at least like Korea does kind of have a a thing of like, you know, kind of like America where like, if you're rich and your parents are influential, you can fucking drive your car drunk at 16 and kill somebody and not go to jail. Or, you know, uh, be Brock Turner, rape some girls and just be good at swimming and then get away with it because Mm -hmm. 
you're special and talented. That's Brock Turner, rapist. Yeah. All my homies hate the rapist Brock Turner. So yeah, um, her getting her revenge, and like it, it was a very heartwarming part of the part of the show where she's just like working through a factory, like working in a factory. It's heartwarming because like she's working in a factory and then also working on getting her GED and then saving up enough money to go to college. And you're just like, ah, great. She's going to live her life like she's definitely not in search of revenge. Like she definitely hasn't warped her entire life plan to fuck over this group of five people. And then you find out, yes, of course, she warped her entire life plan to fuck over these five people. Mm -hmm. Which is uh beautiful uh gorgeous kind of stuff uh if if i didn't side so much with her i'd just be like ah yes this is top level petty but like the horrific body disfiguration this poor woman went through in high school like i just root for her no matter what so long as she doesn't fuck with the kid as long as the kid remains unharmed where i i support her to do whatever she wants i don't know i like i like the main character just because, like, she seems, like, in control and, like, a badass and has this crazy plan and shit. But then, like, she'll see some people, like, cooking bacon. And then she's like, oh, that reminds me of, like, the flesh that was burned from my body with a fucking curling iron. Uh, and then she'll, like, have a panic attack. Like, she she's, for the most part, shown as capable, in control very very intelligent but like you see the effects that like her childhood is or like her that that year of high school had on her mm-hmm. to where like yeah like you said like some dudes in the garage in a garage are cooking meat and she just hears this the sound of sizzling meat and just freaks the fuck out like like you said that like that's like that's something i never would have thought of but then all of a sudden like it just happens to her like that she just at the most random time like over the most seemingly innocuous thing becomes like extremely vulnerable. Yeah. So yeah, like there's, um, you know, she's the main character for, you know, lack of a better word, she's the hero of the story. Uh, and then there's like a collection of, you know, a handful of dipshits led by, you know, the, the famous wealthy, pretty girl who, you know, is the main fixation of her rage. Uh, but like the rest of them are, you know, like your cast of characters that you have for a thing like this, where, you know, they're bad people and fodder for the killing. Right. But then like, there's, there's two like helper characters who like are going to help her get one over on everybody. Uh, so there's Mrs. Kang, who is like, uh, becomes like her informant, basically. Like she, yep. she pays her to like spy on all these people and figure out their daily lives and shit. So like, I don't know. It's a fun little story arc of like watching her going from like uh, being real nervous and not knowing what the fuck she's doing by like by the end of the season. It's like she's a fucking master spy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She even at one point is like, I wish, you know, in the next life to be a spy. I think this is super fun stuff. Yeah. And like you they they do. I think it's episode three. They give you like a cliffhanger where she catches uh, Dong and show like digging through the trash. Yeah. 
and you're like, oh, shit, everything's over now. And it's like, nope, I want to help you first because, you know, the people, the rich people here fucking suck. Yeah. And then uh, the other one that's on our side is uh, he's a plastic surgeon. Uh, his name is Ju Yo Jung. Uh, he teaches her how to play Go, which is a uh, mm-hmm. strategy. It's like the world's oldest board game. So the world's most difficult board game to the point where, like, yeah. I think only now computers have learned how to play Go and beat Grandmaster yeah. level players. Yeah. Fuck you, chess. Fucking baby Tinker Toys game. Uh, Go is a real thinking man's game. Uh, yeah. I've always wanted to pl- learn how to play Go, but I feel like it would be impossible for me to learn without like apprenticing to a master. Cause like, yeah, I feel like there's seven people globally who know how to play this fucking game. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he, they meet, they hit it off. He teaches her how to play, uh, like, you know, he expresses romantic interest in her and she kind of, it's like, nah, cause of my horrible disfigurement, I don't want you to see, mm-hmm. My naked form. Uh, but like, it turns out he has his own dark passion passenger who, uh, you know, he'll have to slake its bloodlust at some point because uh, his dad got fucking stabbed to death. And since mm-hmm. he's a surgeon and likes to cut people up, that's the foreshadowing. It's check off scalpel. It's going to fucking cut a dude's head off. See, with that. um. I mean, the the dad's scalpel existing and being a thing. Yeah, like that's the Chekhov scalpel. But like also it felt like if they wanted to give Dongan a, a happy ending, it would be that he could potentially operate on her scars and like, you know, yeah. do something there. Although it, it seems like he when he sees them, he's just like, I can't do anything with that. Like, you're just going to be scarred forever, unfortunately. I don't know. You would have to like, I don't know how you would even do like you would have to cut out the entire like massive scar tissue and then do skin grafts. Yeah. Like that's uh, a lot. That's a lot. And it, it covers her entire body pretty much. Um, well, yeah. It's, she was burned with a curling iron on her arms and then an actual clothing iron on her legs. Yeah. And like all of her back and shit too. And never forget. Yeah. But, uh, like kind of whenever he gets clued into what's all going on, it's like um, she's like, I don't need a prince to save me or whatever the fuck. Like I need, I need a headsman who's going to join me in the sword dance, uh, which is a fucking great line of dialogue. Uh, so like by the end of it, he's just like, all right, I'm on, I'm on the war path. Like, let's do it. Tell me who to kill and I'll murder them. And I think he was like that before. Well, actually, no, he once he saw the scars and understood like his I feel like that's that's the selling point, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. it's like when you hear high school bullying, you're just like, oh, you got stuffed in a couple lockers, maybe your head dunked in a toilet every now yeah. and then you you don't think like yeah, somebody poured their the, pudding on your head and said O'Doyle rules. Yeah, you know, you don't think like, you know, scalding fucking third degree burns all over your body due to a curling iron or whatever like you know that that's not what i think about when when it's bullying so like unfortunately for her 
I feel like that has to be the selling point is like, hey, these are the scars that I got. Like, I, I am horribly disfigured. Well, not horribly disfigured. Like, she can still wear clothes, I guess, and not be like, it's not like she's been like fucking had acid thrown over her face or something. But still, like, she, she's still horribly disfigured in a different kind of way. But, and also the fucking mental scars. But yeah. And also, uh, she got the nurse a job at the new practice uh, that uh, the yeah. guy opened up. Because the nurse was like, I was always rooting for you. Even even when you were 17, I was rooting for you. And now I'm rooting for you even harder. Like, I, I do like that in this heightened world where there's seemingly no police whatsoever and the police don't give a shit, that people are just like, yeah, fuck it. Fuck the police. Get your, get your street justice. Who cares? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is like the the bad people are like, um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I watched a lot of like Kim's convenience in the last couple months. So cool Christian Koreans, uh, which is, you know, uh, they're shown as being religious. But like, that's a mm-hmm. thing in that show is like the girl's mom is trying to find her a cool Christian Korean boyfriend. Uh, so all these cool Christian Koreans uh, who, you know, horribly disfigured this girl. You know, they do their thing. They're happy with themselves. But then like uh, dong who's like, uh, God is dead. Uh, I'm going to exact my revenge no matter what. Uh, it's just like, yeah, if God favors you, you'll get like legal system justice but if god favors me i'm gonna give you you know a more old testament style of justice but either way you're you're going down (laughs) so yeah we're we're rooting for dongan at least i am like i you know you if you're like we're we're talking about like a heightened world here like like Cobra Kai level heightened world where a seemingly yeah. police don't exist not, unless we need them to not Cobra Kai level absurdity, but like that level of, yeah, like, uh, you have to suspend your disbelief. Cause like, you know, the second, the second she shows up with like horrible arm scars, like there's just no fucking way that nobody's just like, this is a problem. We have significant bullying issues in our school and we need to take care of this somehow. I don't know how, but we do, we need to do it. And it's not, you know, have a teacher beat the fuck out of a student. Mm-hmm. And it's also not forcing our school nurse to resign in disgrace. Yeah, it's probably not that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, also, with the other friend group, it's really interesting seeing the economic dynamic again, because there's three really f- rich friends, and then there's two. Well, there's one friend who is I, I don't want to say poor, but like she's more working class and is marrying to a rich guy or a seemingly rich guy. And then we have a guy who's just a complete fucking loser and is just basically the bitch of the group. And it's just interesting seeing that dynamic and how Dong-un leverages that dynamic into uh, betrayal because uh, I don't want to go too far into it, but like she's able to use the the poor too 
uh, against the rest of the group in interesting ways. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a good show. It's a good show. I'm enjoying it. So uh, anything else you want to say about the show? No. No, I think we pretty much covered everything. All right. Yeah, we pretty much stayed spoiler free, too. So you you there's not much, you know, from like the latter four episodes and you'll be you'll be you have a good enough primer to watch and be invested if you're invested, if not, whatever. But uh, yeah, check this out. It's another Korean show. Uh, I I, want to start doing a few more foreign language shows. We'll talk about that when we talk about what we're watching next week. But yeah, I want to I want to highlight a bit more stuff because there's I guarantee foreign language stuff we've missed. And it turns out there's some good foreign language shows on Netflix. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that'll bring us over to our second review, which is uh, The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Well, fine, if you don't want my money. You mean, if we watch terrible movies, you'd give us money? Well, sure. Mr. Caleb, welcome to the patron review segment. Uh, this was given to us by Chris Yaney to talk about. Uh, it is about baseball. Uh, it's a documentary. Uh, in 1973, Hollywood actor Bing Russell starts an independent minor league baseball team in Portland consisting of outcasts and misfits and turns them into an unlikely overnight success. Uh, so this is Kurt Russell's dad mm-hmm. in the sheriff from Bonanza, I think. Deputy sheriff. Deputy to the sheriff. Yeah. Assistant That's to actually- the regional manager. That's Ashley's joke. I can't take that. But that, <laughs> when she said that, I laughed very hard. But, uh, yeah. So it has uh, interviews with Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's mom, uh, who, like, definitely is where he got his looks from. They have the exact same eyes. It was uncanny. It was, like, uh, Kurt Russell in a in a lady wig. Um, <laughs> and then, like, a bunch of people who were on the team and shit. Uh, just talking about riders for the the city. Yeah, just talking about their sport journey. Uh, I've watched this previously, but uh, tell me what you think. It's a solid documentary. I enjoyed it. I think the stories are crazy. Uh, the The most crazy fucking thing, or like the postscript fucking things for everybody, where like. One of the dudes who played for the Portland Mavericks uh, invented big league chew. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy disappeared in 1984 and was believed to be an FBI informant. Like <laughs> the, the fucking crazy. Sh- like it's like you could make a movie about the other, like the postscript shit. It was, it's, it's insane. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, it kind of, filled in like it it agrees with my take on the current state of baseball, which is that baseball isn't fun Mm -hmm. and the league does the major major league baseball doesn't want baseball to be fun. And, uh, they hate the team that makes baseball fun. Yeah. It's like, uh, these guys are just out here doing it because 
baseball's legitimately a fun and good game. Yeah. Uh, and we have to destroy them because if people realize they can just play baseball in their backyards, then like we're not going to be able to take all of their money. That's the thing with baseball, too, is that like it feels like it's the easiest sport to teach anybody because it's very simple. Uh, you hit ball, you run to base. Uh, if the ball gets there before you get to base, you're out. Yeah. If you're in the field, catch the ball, throw to other person so other person can be out. Pitching's, pitching's a thing and catching's a thing. But outside of those, those, those two positions, everything else is super easy. Like, it's a very easy game to understand. Yeah. Uh, baseball's the best. So, yeah. Uh, what is it? This story is just basically like, Independent baseball team rages against Major League Baseball. And it's like, hi, your fu- your system isn't very good because you're giving up on bet on good players that are actually better than like the players you're drafting. So here you go. And then uh, Major League Baseball fires back by being like, well, we're just going to send our really good players, the players who are above the level you're playing down in the minor leagues. So that way they can play your scrub team compared to them. Uh, so that way we win all the time and you never win. So you look like fucking losers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just history facts, but yeah, it's it's a sports thing and I like it, uh, which is, you know, not the norm for me because I'm uh, a cuck and don't like sport ball. This is all true. <laughs> ba- apparently, like fucking Bing Russell had like a fantastic baseball mind to the point where like I feel like he would have been a very successful general manager, or or at least like head scout. Because mm-hmm. like I haven't seen Moneyball. I, I assume Moneyball is in, in in a similar situation, but like it uses weird scouting tech. Well, weird scouting techniques. Uh, the weird scouting techniques being using advanced statistics in order to tell you who who belongs where and who should be wet, doing what, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's this. It's probably better for the game of baseball. Uh, I think it also makes the game of baseball super boring because it's like, oh, uh, the the stats say pull your pitcher here and, and, and put your catcher as the pitcher for some fucking reason. It's like, what? fuck are you talking about just just play the game just shut up uh but like it, apparently bing russell could have been like an amazing talent scout because he just yeah. found like a bunch of dudes who were like not playing professional baseball and they were just beating dudes who yeah were well like you know if you bring in people who genuinely enjoy doing the thing and encourage them then like they're gonna do the thing to their the best of their ability but like also, he would just, you know, it, it was like a real life version of the movie Major League because he would just bring mm-hmm. in people who like were entertaining. Yeah. And, and like he also had these weird ideas like having diversity, like a female general manager, a, an Asian male as a as a general manager, the, you know, weird fucking concepts such as including other people with other ideas. Yeah. 
so yeah, I enjoyed it. It uh, like I said, it confirmed my bias that baseball is dying because it refuses to not let the old heads uh, just be dead. Yeah, love baseball. Fuck the league. But yeah, I like it. I definitely would recommend. Yeah, it's a it's a solid watch. It's only 80 minutes. So Gerald would love it. OK, uh, well, what are we doing on the show next week, Dan? Uh, next week on the show, we will be watching uh, our main view topic will be we have a ghost. This is the Anthony Mackie, David Harbour movie where David Harbour probably says no lines except for the very final line of the movie uh, as he flies away into the ethereal plane. Yeah, this is my prediction. <laughs> and and it's going to be boo. <laughs> it's going to be something stupid like that. And then uh, on the back half of that, we will be watching Against the Ropes which is uh, we were looking for fucking stupid stuff to watch <laughs> for this month because Netflix has nothing that we care to ever watch right now. And uh, so this is a Lucha Libre show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is entirely it's a Mexican TV uh, drama slash comedy uh, released from Bridgen. Pr- pr- uh, uh, released from prison, Angela tries to regain the respect of her daughter who loves Lucha Libre wrestling by entering the ring as a mysterious persona. Uh, it has wrestling. Apparently, Rey Mysterio shows up at one point, and I'm big thumbs up to that. Uh, Rey Mysterio, for you and everybody who isn't aware, uh, is arguably the most influential Mexican wrestler of the 21st century. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had Mil Mascaris and all those other guys from like the twenty, like the late twentieth century. Rey Mysterio has been around basically the entire twenty first century, and you can trace a lot of Mexican wrestlers, or like at least like uh, Mexican dis- like heritage wrestlers from like the southern part of the United States as being like, we love Rey Mysterio. He's the reason we wanted to even be in wrestling at all. I wonder if like Lucha Libre, if they kind of like, do they pass characters down to like new people? Yes. Okay. There's like Tiger Mask one. There's Tiger Mask two. I think we're up to Tiger Mask four at this point. Because that I don't know. That's always been my thing with like. The band Kiss, like. You can just keep the band going forever and just have everybody become new like rock and roll clowns oh uh i i say tiger mask tiger mask is almost exclusively japanese and uh we're up to tiger mask tiger mask seven because we have tiger mask <laughs> one tiger mask two tiger mask three tiger mask four tiger mask five tiger mask w and then shinsetsu tiger mask ah damn that's amazing how many times has the Undertaker died and come back to life? So, here, here, brief history of the Undertaker. The Undertaker at one point did a character refresh coming off of in, uh, coming off an injury, where he became the American badass uh, and rode a fucking chopper into the ring, or like down the ramp to the ring. So that that was that that was that gimmick refresh. 
And then that lasted for about 40 years until Survivor Series 2002 or 2003. It was 2003, uh, where the Undertaker had a buried alive match with somebody and he was buried alive by his half brother, Kane, who was not in the match, but wanted to fuck with the Undertaker and Kane are related. Correct. Uh, who who wasn't in the match and just wanted to fuck with the Undertaker and kill him, so he killed him. And then at WrestleMania, that that the the proceed the the next WrestleMania, the Undertaker returned to uh, immediately destroy Kane in an extremely quick match. Hmm. The Undertaker might have died outside of that, but that is the one canonical death that I know of the Undertaker. This isn't really related to that, but I'm sure you'll know exactly the clip that I'm referencing. Uh, I think the f- my favorite thing that I've ever seen involving wrestling is like uh, somebody, I forget who it was, was like talking mad shit about Sting and like goes out in the stands and somebody's wearing yeah. a Sting mask and he like rips it off, but it's Sting underneath and he just punches him. Yeah. Oh, it was, our, it was Rob Van Dam. Because uh, Rob Van Dam is just doing like his Rob Van Dam thing. He's jumping around the outside. And then Sting takes a steel chair and like lightly baps him on the head. When uh, I've seen Rob Van Dam take full unprotected chair shots uh, that should probably have killed him, but didn't. And then uh, Sting gets up, removes the mat. It's it's the funniest fucking thing. It's so, <laughs> it's so, he apparently also did it in WCW, but I never really watched WCW. So they stole that from WCW, but it's fine because I think at that time, the people who were running uh, TNA, which stands for Total Nonstop Action Wrestling and not Tits and Ass, uh, were also run, had also run WCW prior. Yeah. <sighs> oh, wrestling. Wrestling's great. I don't care what anybody says. All right, uh, They're all wrong. Yeah. Thank you to Space Weather for the sort of theme song, Bitter. And until next week, this is Caleb saying we'll see you next Tuesday. No, no, no. Not until, no. Uh, Silent Hex, this Friday. If you're listening to this right now, the, if you're listening to this on release day, this Friday, Silent Hex. Uh, still don't know what video game is from. Go go stream it on your streaming service music thing, a platform. Uh, and now we can be next Tuesday. Who cares? And now the sh- And now the show is over. Netflix and Swill is an independent podcast. As such, we believe in the scrappy underdogs of the podcast world. If you're an indie podcast and would like us to run your promo on our show, please contact us. The little guys need to stick together. If you enjoy what we're doing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and telling a friend. The more we grow, the better the show will be. Thank you for being part of the Netflix and Swill family.